Well, everything looks great. You meet the education requirements, your background check, came back clean. You seem to be a very willing and determined individual. Well, thank you. I do appreciate that. I think you have a lot of potential with this company. Welcome aboard. Wow. Okay. All right. Uh, potential. Um, yeah. I don't think this is going to work, but thanks anyway. Well, hey, wait. What's going on? What's wrong? Yeah. Okay. It's just that you, you say I'm great at this and great at that. I'm hired, and then I have potential? Well, I, I think you have uh, potential to be a great employee someday. But that right there, that's what I'm talking about. I mean, you like me. You say I'm great at stuff. And why can't you take me as I am? Why do I have to change? Now, you don't just want me to do my job. You want me to grow as an employee, too? Well, yeah, of course. We want you to be able to do what you're supposed to do, but we want you to grow in the process. So you could be a benefit to the, to the company and the other folks that work here. Great. Now you're going to tell me you don't offer hourly breaks, a year vacation, free insurance. Uh, yeah. Thanks, but no thanks. Ridiculous. What happens when two people have different expectations of the same thing? Employee versus employer. What happens if the expectations of a parent and a child differ? What happens if a parent has expectation of their child, but the child doesn't see that potential? Or vice versa, being in education for 30 years. What happens if a child has expectations, wants to go somewhere, but the parent doesn't agree or see that in the, in the person? What about a coach and an athlete? What if a coach sees great potential in an athlete, but the athlete just is not willing to put in the time, the practice, to reach that potential? More importantly, what happens when our expectations and prayer and God's aren't the same? What do we do in those circumstances? What happens to us? What happens to your faith? What happens to you when the expectations don't match reality? See, because what happens is if our expectations in reality don't match, we can get discouraged. We can stop praying. Things like that can happen. So, what happens? And that's what we want to get you through today. And if you can get anything from this teaching day is what happens when our expectations and God's don't match? What do we do in those times. And it happens to all of us. I'm here to tell you, nobody gets 100% of the prayers answered exactly the way we want those prayers answered. doesn't happen. What do we do in those circumstances? How do we handle that? How do we manage our expectations in prayer? Let me ask you this. You know and have expectations of God. Have you ever stopped to think what God's expectations are of you in prayer? Have you stopped for a moment and say, well, God, what is, what is your expectations of me today in prayer? That's what we want to hit today. That's what we want to have happen here today is being able to manage our expectations in prayer. Now, a Pew form who, who does surveys and statistics and stuff, and this is why I think this is probably one of the most important teachings I've ever done here at Good News Gathering. 
and why I'm, I'm so excited to give this and to be part of this is they, they polled 18 to 29-year-olds, and they found that only 16% of that age group prayed on a daily basis and only one out of four on a weekly basis. 30 to 49-year-olds, that was the highest age range, was only, still was only a third of you prayed on a daily or a weekly basis. 50 to 64-year-olds, basically after the children are outside, if you notice that the highest was, was when we had children and teenagers in the household, that age group, but we do spend more time in prayer then. But after that, it goes down to about 20-some percent again. And then those of retirement age, it's less than one out of every five. There's been a big emphasis here at Good News Gathering the last two or three years for you to get into the Word, to, to read the Bible, to, to spend time and doing your yearly Bible plan, to immerse yourself in God's Word. And we want you to know that as important right behind that is spending time in prayer and understanding our expectations of God and God understanding our expectations of Him in prayer. Vitally important for Christians to have a strong prayer life. Now, when you come in today, you are given a packet of information, and there's a white sheet in that packet. If this is your first time here, that has holes punched in the side of it. If you would take that out as the lights come up, and it says this. Expectations, our working definition of that today is this. It's a belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. The employee had a belief, expectations of the person they're hiring to improve in the job, to do the job well, and to make advances in the job. That was his expectations. Although the employee did not see that potential they had. So it's already here, so why would I need to improve? Just take me as I am and give me everything I want right now. You might laugh at that, but are we the same with God? I've done this, this, and this, and here it is, God, this is what I want. That it will happen. Let me put it this way. If you have your favorite team, your favorite sports team, if you're just kind of a, a fan who just follows it once in a while, your expectations of that team may not match reality. Okay? But if you're an avid fan and you research your team and you know the draft picks they had in the draft, you know who the, they signed in the offseason, you know if, if they they bolstered their pitching staff, or, or if it's football, they, they shirt up their linebacking core. And if you're really into that, and the more you know about your team, the more your expectations become reality, because then you get a sense of what your team could do. Now, you hope that they would win the Super Bowl or win the World Series, whatever, but reality tells you it's probably not going to happen. It's the same way with God. The more that you and I understand God, the more we get into His Word, the more we spend time in prayer, the more expectations become manageable when it comes to our prayer life. Because we know more about Him, we understand where He's coming from, and we know what He expects of us. Now last week, J.D. gave you a, a working definition of prayer, and we're going to go over that again today and touch a couple things that he mentioned last week that we would do this week. Prayer is simply communication to and from God. Prayer is simply a communication to and from God. Now, I was speaking to someone between service, and they said, you know, when, when I come to know, uh, become a believer and come to follow Christ, he said, I didn't even know how to pray and, and wasn't, wasn't even taught that until years down the road. Well, we don't want that to happen here. At we want you to practice prayer. We want you to be in prayer from day one and to grow in prayer. 
But in order for us to grow in prayer, we're always good about communicating to God, are we not? I am excellent at communicating things to God. I can tell Him everything that's on my heart, it's on my mind. But do you know where I lack? And I've been a prayer warrior for 30 years. I consider myself to have a strong prayer life. I lack in listening from God. I, I don't get the part where it says, from God, some days. I throw it out there, leave it out there, and then I'm gone about my day. Is that where you're lacking your prayer? Well, we're going to touch upon that just for a moment here. How do we listen from God? How do we develop that? And if you struggle with that, how do we develop what we hear from God? Well, there's some things we talked about Monday night and programming and some things I want to add to that and talk to you today about. Number one, and this isn't in your outline, but if, if something strikes you here today, I want you to write that down on your outline. Number one, if you want to develop a prayer life that hears from God, you have to be intentional about it. You've got to be intentional. It's not going to happen unless you take the time and the place to say, here I am, Lord, speak to me. What is it you want me to hear? What is it? You've got to be intentional about that. If you're not intentional, he is not, you're not going to hear from him. Around the house, and some of you ladies are going to understand what I'm talking about. When Janice is talking to me, I'm not very intentional sometimes when she's talking. And I get just part of the conversation. And she'll say, well, I, told, I said that earlier. I said, well, I, I didn't get all of that because I had tuned that part of it out. I do the same with God. I have to be intentional. Where's my time? Where's my place? To get where I say, Lord, here I am, speak to me. Number two, you've got to eliminate distractions. If you are, have distractions in your life, listen, you are not going to hear from God. Does it not bug you when you're trying to talk to somebody and they're still texting somebody else? Does that not bother you? It bothers me. It's like you're not giving me your attention. I'm trying to tell you something here and you're not hearing half of what I'm telling you because you're still on your device. You have to eliminate distractions. You can't be in prayer and have an ear open to see when your phone dings on the next text or the Snapchat or whatever it may be or your laptop, your computer, your work, whatever. You've got to eliminate distractions. God says, or the scripture says, be still and know that I am God. It's not going to happen until we eliminate the distractions of life. The third thing we need, we have, need to have an open heart. When you get ready to listen from God. Is your heart open and ready to be obedient when he speaks to you? Are we willing to, do we want to hear from him and say, well, I'll, I'll take what I want, Lord, and, and I'll shove the rest away, but I'll take just the parts. No, we've got to be willing to obey with an open heart. When he speaks to us, he knows what's best for us. And I want you to get this, understand this. Have you ever thought this way? When God speaks to you, that is your message for you that nobody else in the universe is going to get from God. It's yours. It's not mine. It's not anybody else's. It's yours and yours alone because he loves you that much. He earns for that relationship with you that much. He has a message to give just to you. I don't care where you're coming from today, where you've been. He wants to have that with you. As much as anybody else in the world. He earns to he, for you to hear from him. It's your message for you. Different from everybody else. 
One of the ladies in, in the programming said sometimes when she starts in her prayer and she wants to listen to God, she starts writing things down. She organizes her thoughts. And I do that in my prayer journal, which I would encourage you to start that. We teach that in 201. Get your prayer journal on it and start writing down. And sometimes I need to organize my thoughts. Lord, yeah, here it is. And start writing it down. And I go back to that once in a while and I say, yeah, I forgot that I even prayed and you answered that prayer. It develops that communication line with him. Another thing you can do is immerse yourself in God's word. Do you understand that God speaks to you through his word? Whether the answer is yes, no, or hold on and wait a minute, the answer will always be found in his word. It's there. And a day you go without his word is a day you've gone without being able to hear from God, a chance to hear from him. Immerse yourself in his word. Read his word. Take it in every day. Seek wise counsel. One of the members, Monday night, said, always seek somebody that you know understands God, that has a relationship with God, that you can go to for wise counsel, to talk to. Sometimes we need help to get through these things, to be able to hear from God. Sometimes he speaks to you through somebody else. But again, you've got to be careful. It's going to be somebody you know. And trust that knows God. And then the last thing, practice, practice, practice. You don't develop a prayer life in one day where he wants you to be. It's a continual thing. You're always growing in prayer. To the day you die, you should be growing in prayer. Drawing close to him because you know more about his word. You know more about him. You spent time in prayer. Just practice and keep doing it until it becomes so natural to you that it is second nature. And what happens when you do start listening to God and you hear from Him, it helps you manage these expectations because then all of a sudden you understand what the expectations are of Him, of us, and us of Him. It starts aligning. It becomes reality. (laughs) Einstein said at one time, what's the definition of insanity? Practicing the same thing over and over and over and expecting different results. If you don't try to change your prayer life, you're going to get the same results in it. Until you determine intentionally to get closer to Him and hear more from Him, it's not going to happen. It's to be the same thing. We have to grow. What was your expectations of this day? Was your expectations this morning when you woke up, if it quits raining by noon and, and, they get, and get out of church, I can get 18 holes in today. <laughs> or a family dinner, or just to step back and relax for a while. What were your expectations? What were your expectations? If you've been here before at a Good News Gathering, what were your expectations when you come this morning? See, expectations are manageable when you're used to them. I mean, you didn't even think about it. You knew there was going to be people greeting you in the parking lot. Open the door. There's going to be coffee and donuts. There'll be people back in the children's area to take your children, to teach them. Greeters here. You had those expectations. And what happens if one of those is taken away? Does your expectations change? Yeah. But you had those expectations because you're used to those things. It's, it's just second nature for those of you that are here, been here for a while. You don't even think anything about it. I don't think on the way to church on Sunday mornings, boy, I hope there's some coffee this morning. <laughs> I know it's going to be there. Just know it. Now, if this is your first time here at Good News Gathering, we would love to hear from you. What was your expectations and, and were those expectations met? Please write those down. We take those very seriously. We'd like to know what your thoughts were. Paul said, now Paul wrote most, a lot of the New Testament. 
the greatest evangelist to walk the earth, instrumental in, if you don't know, of, of establishing the church after Christ was crucified and went to be back with his father. Instrumental. Paul suffered, he was beaten, he was jailed, he was shipwrecked. He says this in one of his books, and writing to Philippians, he said, you know what? He says, you know what my expectations are? I want to know Christ. It's his expectation. I said, I'm even willing to suffer with him, even to the point of death. He says, I want to know Christ. And you and I can all have one common expectation here today. There could be others, but I can tell you one that we all should have, and that's that fill-in that says we should have the expectation to become more like Christ. Did you ever say a prayer in your life that said, Lord, my prayer today is to be more like you, and that was it? To be more like Christ? That should be my expectation. That should be your expectation. Lord, I want to be more like you. Make me more like you. How many days do we start our prayers like that? To be more like you. Our focus verse for this lesson series comes from 1 Timothy 4.15. It's going to come up on the screen just in your outlines. If you would recite that with me, please. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. First word, underline it. What does it say? Practice. You've got to practice these things. If you don't have practice in prayer, if you're not practicing your prayer life and you're, and you're reading and you're, the Bible, not practicing, you're not going to get any better at it. I can guarantee you right now as a former uh, basketball player that if I was out after a couple of shoulder surgeries and no practice now, my free throw shooting would not be at 89% like it was in high school. I can guarantee you that. I haven't practiced it for years. The same in our lives. Practice. And then I love that thing he says, immerse yourself in them. When he says immerse, when was the last time you immersed yourself in God's word that it was that important to you? That was your thought of the day was what can I get out of you word today, Father? What can I get out of this? Immerse yourself in these things. So what can they see? All, not just some, would you agree with me that the world needs to see all that we have to offer through him? They can see your progress, that you're growing, that you're getting closer. Let us pray. Father, today, the very serious teaching today, and as says last week on prayer, it is so vitally important for us to have a strong prayer life. Lights can be changed. The world can be changed through prayer, Father. And I pray right now, Father, that you remove me. If there's ever a time that no one needed to hear a word I have to say, but you, Lord, that you speak today to your people, that hearts and minds are opened, that we leave here today knowing how to manage our expectations and having a stronger prayer life. It's so vitally important for your church to have a prayer life that's strong in meeting your expectations of your church. We give the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Understand the expectations prayer. I mean, they're great. You have to have expectations. But the, the point of this teaching day is how do we manage the expectations? 
How do we know they're being met? The scripture we're going to use comes from Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. He says this. What's the first word? It says, ask, and it will be what? Given. Ask, and it will be given you. He says, seek, and you will what? Find. Knock, and the door will be what? Opened to you, not to the world, not to your neighbor. It says, if you ask, and you seek, and you knock, it will be opened to you. It's your door. It's not anybody else's. It's your prayer life. It's your faith. For everyone who asks, what do they do? Right, receive. The one who seeks, what does he find? I said it. He finds. And the one who knocks the door again will be what? Opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your Father in heaven give to you good things if you ask him? Now, don't get confused here. When it says evil, say, well, ain't I? I'm not an evil parent. I'm not saying that. And he's not saying that. It says, but we are flawed. Would you agree with me? We're flawed people. I was not the perfect parent. I am not, although I try to be the perfect grandparent, I try to be the perfect pap, as I am called, but I fail sometimes. But I can tell you this, if me in my flawed state, with sometimes my evil desires, if I know how to give good gifts to my children and grandchildren, then he who hung the stars in the sky, who made the universe, who made you and me, His infinite wisdom and glory. How much more would he know to give to you and I? Because his ways are so much higher than ours. If you and I know how to give good gifts to ours, how much more does he know to give to you and I? Seems like a simple thing, but it's a little more complicated than that, and that's what we're going to dig into right now. Now, that first word in that scripture, ask. You want to underline that or circle whatever it says, ask. And what does it say? It's going to be given to you, right? Ask and it'll be given to you. You might want to write that down in your outline right beside ask. Given me. It's given to me. Well, first of all, who's asking? We are asking. It's implied when Jesus gives this teaching. If you were here last week, J.D. talked about the Lord's Prayer and he broke those down. And he follows it up with this. Well, this is how you should ask. You ask. God is the one giving. Understand, God is giving. We're asking. I want you to understand that most scholars will tell you in this text, from the original text, if you study it, it doesn't just mean ask once and stop asking or seek and stop seeking or knock and just not knock anymore. It says ask and keep asking. You seek and you keep seeking. You knock and you keep knocking. And asking, seeking, knocking are all metaphors for prayer. That's what we're talking about here today is prayer. So let's not lose track of that. We're talking about prayer. We're asking God. God is the one given. Let me ask you this. If a neighborhood child walks up to your door, knocks on the door, and says, we're trying to raise playground money for playground equipment because we need a place for the children in the neighborhood to play. We really like to have a, a place down here, some, a swing set and a slide and stuff. We're selling some candy bars. Whatever you could give to us would be greatly appreciated because we would love to raise a little money for this project. 
Now, you and I would probably be prompted to give to that cause because that child asks in humility, that person, that child asks out of a need. What if the next child comes up and he's got the box of candy bars? He says, hey, dude, um, I really got some things to do. We're trying to raise some money. Would you buy this box of candy bars off me so I can go back to fishing? Probably not going to be apt to buy a whole lot of candy off of that one. Why? Because the first child came to you out of a need and out of humility. And here's the thing I want you to get right off the bat. Our prayers should be given humility before God. You understand that when we go to prayer, we are bowing before, kneeling before, or standing however you pray, before the one who created the heavens and the earth. We are standing before the Almighty God, and He is giving you and I the opportunity to talk to Him. I can guarantee you right now that none of us here in this room have the ability to pick up their phones right now and call the President of the United States or maybe even a Congress Senator. But God says, you call my name and I'll listen. Think about that. The one who created everything that we see says, I will listen to you when you ask. If we come before him humbly. Now here's the great thing. Jesus assumes that when we're doing this, if you're going to God in prayer, you assume already that there are prayers to be and answers to be given, right? If you didn't think there were answers, why would you be even praying? Jesus says there's answers there if you ask. They're there. We just got to understand how to get to them, how to align our expectations in God. Aligning our will, immersing ourselves in. Here's what it is. One of the, if you have a Bible application or application study Bible, I should say, this was at the bottom of one of the footnotes. It says some Christians have this idea that when they go to prayer and they ask God, it's like a blank check. Okay? Now, on your outline, there is a line that says, to the order of, and there's going to be a blank check come up on your screen. Let's just, just amuse me for a moment. Let's say that Warren Buffett or Bill Gates or somebody come in here today and handed you a blank check and says, here's the check. Write this out for anything that you want. No strings attached. You don't have to pay interest. You don't ever have to pay it back. It's yours for the keeping. Would you, would you get that house on the lake? Would you get that new truck? What would you write that check out for if there was no strings attached? Think about it. Just indulge yourself for a moment. Okay? Not that I had that. I was told this in programming. I might have to ask for forgiveness for envy and lust. But not that I've been looking at a new Harley, but there is a, a 2019 Harley. It's a Max Blue Harley. Okay? This happens to be the one I looked at. <laughs> uh, it has smoke gray pinstriping on it. You can't see it in a picture that goes down the gas tank, down through the saddlebags. Um, it has the premium stereo system. Uh, it has aluminum alloy front rim and rear rim. Uh, I could go on <laughs> if you want to know the rest of the list, okay? And that's when they said, you might have a problem, Wayne. You need to ask forgiveness before you teach on Sunday. So I kind of did. So that would be what, you know, one of the first things I would probably write out for. And I could justify it because many of you know I'm a member of Bikers for Christ. And I could say, God, you know, I ride with Bikers for Christ. That would be a really neat tool to use. <laughs> it's fine with what I got. God doesn't care what I'm on. 
It's a message, right? So I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. But James tells us in 4, 3, and this hit home with me. when Even I was kind of joking around about this, but it still hit home. God says, maybe you're looking too much. He says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And I'll be honest with you, if I was to get that new Harley, I would ride into all the rides with a little bit of pride. <laughs> you know, look at this. God says, no, you can spend it on your pleasures. Let me ask you this. If you, this might be your first time in church ever, but I guarantee you've heard of Billy Graham. Greatest evangelist that's been in our country ever. Touched thousands and tens of thousands of lives. Preached the message of salvation that, that, that I was at a couple of his crusades and just seen thousands of people come to know Jesus. If Billy Graham was handed a check when he was still alive from Warren Buffett or whoever and says, here, what do you think Billy Graham would ask for? He wouldn't ask for a new heart of that, I can guarantee you that. He'd probably ask for Bibles to pass out in a third world country or some way to get to the message to somewhere to, 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 for another crusade to be funded, for the gospel to be preached to somebody. How about Mother Teresa? If you don't know who Mother Teresa is, she founded orphanages for children who didn't have any place to go, who were displaced after wars or displaced from home, broken homes. And she, do, she dedicated her life to help an orphan. Her orphanage is in like seven or eight different countries now. If she was handed the blank check, what do you think Mother Teresa would ask for? I guarantee she'd ask for clothing for children, for shoes for children, for food for children. That's what she would ask for. Nothing for herself. Bring it close to the home. Pastor Pierre. Now, if you're not very familiar here, it's good news gathering yet. Pastor Pierre founded the Qual New Testament Mission, who's our Haiti partner, who we partied, or partied, not party, partnered with in Haiti. He has built churches, I think, in some of the leadership in Kirkby, nine, ten different communities now. There's churches and schools. He's teaching children. Uh, in schools, he's feeding them daily. They come to school in their uniforms. Many of you here are sponsored children in Haiti. What would Pastor Pierre ask for? He would ask for things for those children. Rice, that some of you are involved in a rice packing. More food for his children to, f- to feed them. More churches, more schools so he could reach more lives. That's what he would ask for. So once I prepared this lesson, I got to thinking, my priorities sometimes get mixed up when I think about what these people would want. Nothing for themselves, but for what would promote the gospel of Jesus Christ in their lives. Now last week, J.D. taught the lesson on the Lord's Prayer, and he passed out cards, and if you did not get a card... Please get one on the way out there on these little tables in the back of the auditorium. Pick one up on your way out. Because even if you've got a prayer life that you've had one for 20, 30, 40 years, getting back to the basics and be able to prayer of praise, a prayer of submission, a prayer of intercession, a prayer of confession and forgiveness and a prayer of protection gets us grounded back to where we need to be. Because I did it a few mornings this week and it got me back to the basics. 
Because here's the bottom line. When we asked, we need to be asking as Christ has taught us to ask. We ask as Christ has taught us to ask. So please pick one up and practice those prayers. And if you're just new to the faith, and you, that's a good way to get started. And, and someone like me who's been praying for 30 years, that's a great way for me to get focused back and ground the back where he wants me to be. To say, I need to change the way I'm asking. Now Jesus assumes here also that, that when we're praying, we are getting grounded in, in the faith and grounded in the word. So when we ask, we ask that it will be given to us according to his will. Asking for the bread, what we need, not what we want. The next villain says this, when I'm asking, I must know and understand God's will. If I don't understand God's will for my life, how can I know what to truly ask for when I get into those deep things in prayer? I can't. Because I'm spending it, it goes back to that James 4. I spend it on my pleasures. Now, Matthew Henry, who wrote a great commentary on the Bible, which I use quite often. I know Jeff and J.D. both have mentioned at times that they uh, used Matthew Henry's commentary, and some of you have used that in our groups of stuff. He says it is this. When asking, we should ask as a beggar asks for alms. That beggar is asking for what he needs to survive that day. Ask as a beggar does for alms. Now, the moment that Janice and I found out we were going to be grandparents, I started praying for my grandchildren. From the day, from the moment that, that we were told, hey, you're going to be grandpa. I prayed that, one, they would be healthy, two, God would keep them safe, and three, that they would be raised in God's word according to his will, that my children would raise my grandchildren according to the scripture, that they would be taught who Jesus is, they would be taught who God's love is, and, and to be raised according to his word. Two weeks ago, we get a phone call. Now, remember, we, I've been praying for our oldest grandson to be five next month. I've been praying almost every day for God's protection over them. We get the phone call. Miranda's been T-boned at 32 and 247. My two grandchildren in the back seat. There's a picture of the vehicle. Uh, my four-year-old grandson was sitting in the back seat. The car hit it so hard it ripped that door off the car where he was sitting and threw it into the other lane at 32. Now, my expectations have been for almost five years. God, keep them safe. Be with them. May they be raised according to your way. I can tell you that they all walked away from the vehicle. He walked away without a scratch. That expectation of mine was met. Now the question is this. What if that outcome would have been different? Some of you have been in that situation. As I've been the minister for 20 some years, I've been with people who the outcome was not that. Much, much different. The key is what do you do in that situation when it isn't? what you expected, and what you wanted in your prayer, what you've been praying for. And we're going to get to that in a moment because I have another story to share with you in my life that happened. It was just the opposite of that, close to it. That's what 
we got to get to today is how do we manage the expectations when our expectations and what really happens are different? The second part of that, he says, seek. Seek and you will find. It is that we are the ones seeking. But let me ask you, what are you trying to find? What are you truly trying to find in life? Let me ask you this. Are you trying to seek God's will? Are you trying to seek His will so you can make a difference and impact other lives around you? There's things we seek for every day. We seek acceptance. We seek love. We seek friendship. Fulfillment. Those are all things that we seek. That we need. But are you truly seeking God's will? Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you. It's kind of like back in algebra class. The if, and, and then. If you seek His will and His righteousness, then these things will be given you. Are you seeking His will in your life? I can tell you right, when you lose something, the more valuable it is, the object you lose, the more earnestly you seek it. If you drop a quarter going down the hallway, you might look for a second for that quarter, but that's all you're going to give it. You're going to keep on going. Or a penny or a dime. You drop a diamond ring, your wedding ring or whatever it may be, you're going to search for that earnestly. Back to my younger days when Janice and I were dating. And this is kind of corny because this probably didn't happen. But I had her class ring wrapped around my necklace around my neck. I would never do that today. I think, oh, that is so corny. But I did it. I was playing football. Now, why was I playing football with a class ring wrapped around my neck? I do not know. But you all know where the story is going in the third quarter. (sighs) That was before my Jesus days. So (laughs) I won't repeat anything after that. But you, I can guarantee, she was on vacation in Tennessee with her parents at the time. So I can guarantee you, I'm calling my uncle up who had a metal detector and calling my cousin up who has a metal detector. And I go borrow a metal detector and I searched earnestly for the class ring because I knew it was valuable to her. Let's take it one step farther. Ron Hennison, who works on the outreach here and uh, become a good friend of mine, was at Long's Retreat on Memorial Day weekend, and if you ever know anything about Long's Retreat or any campground on Memorial Day, they're packed. And he noticed this child walking by the campground with no one with them. So this isn't good. So they get the child back up to the office, only to find a frantic mother who had been searching for an hour for her child. Searching frantically. If you've ever been in that position when your child has wandered off at the mall or campground or whatever, I can guarantee you at that moment nothing else matters except to find that child. You're going to seek with every ounce of energy and every resource you can until that child is found. Are you not? That's all that matters at that point. It doesn't matter what you're doing. The only thing that matters is finding that child. Let me ask you this. If we had to seek God like we would seek that lost child, what would our lives be like? If I sought after God 
when I look out and I know the grandsons are supposed to be on the swing set and they're supposed to be out there playing and I come out and they're not there, I can guarantee you whatever I'm doing at the time, that doesn't matter. I'm searching for those two boys that were supposed to be on the swing set with everything I've got. What if I sought God like that? What if I went after him with the same audacity and the same fervor and the same energy, seeking his will in my life? What would my life be like? Here's the great thing. When we're seeking out God, it doesn't matter if you drove in here today in a 78 Pinto, which I drove a few years ago, or a Rolls Royce. It doesn't matter if you have a doctorate degree or if you don't have any degree. It doesn't matter when you come to God. We all come to him on the level playing field. When we seek him out, he doesn't care where we're coming from. I can guarantee you, when I come from my life of alcohol to seek him out, he didn't care where I was coming from. He just was glad I was there. He took me in. 1 John 14, 14 and 15 tells us this. This is the confidence. How much confidence do you have when you go to God in prayer? Do you really know him and how much do you know him? How much confidence do you have that we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to, here it is, underline it, his will. He hears us. We just want to take part of these verses out. The bottom line is this. If we ask according to his will, he hears us. And we know that he hears us. Whatever we ask, we know that we have it, what we ask of him. Because we're seeking his will in our lives. And it gives us greater confidence. The more we know of his word, the more we know of him, the more time we spend in prayer and listening to him, making it intentional that we have that two-way relationship, our confidence grows because we know what he wants of us. Barnes, another one of my commentators I use uh, when studying, says this, There is no higher thing to seek of God than to seek forgiveness, to seek peace, to seek comfort, to seek joy, seek salvation. He says those are the greatest things in life to seek. And after all, would you not agree with me when it comes, the bottom line comes to it? You and I, that's what we really earn in life. That's what we really want is to have peace, to have comfort. To have joy, forgiveness. That's what we really, the bottom line, want. When I put the picture of New Harley up, I think it's going to bring me peace and joy and comfort until the payment book comes. (laughs) The third part of that says knock. And you might want to write beside knock, the door is open. We knock, God opens the door. What do you expect when you go to a door and you got a, you're delivering a package? When you knock on the door, you expect somebody to open the door, correct? You want the door to be opened. And you're going to knock and keep knocking until someone comes to the door. Unless you're as old as I am, and then some of you are going to date yourself, when you can remember the day of door-to-door salesman. I was <laughs> told by mom, do not answer the door. <laughs> Leave it closed. I do not need another vacuum sweeper. Forgive me if you're in that line of work. I, I, 
I call Mulligan there. Please forgive me for that. But there are certain things. You, the mom said, don't answer the door. We don't want that. We don't need that. The door stayed closed. But keep knocking until someone opens the door. If you're wanting to talk to somebody, you're going to keep knocking until that person opens the door. You are. If you just knock one time and go away, you didn't want to talk to him very bad. There's a story. Now, Luke's gospel records uh, the same thing we talked about in Matthew. A little, he throws a, a story in right after this in his gospel that says this. He says, suppose you have a friend. Now, now we assume that this is your friend. Now, you can have your definite friend however you want it to be. But we're assuming this is a friend, and he comes to you at midnight. Okay, I'm at the age right now, I don't want anybody knocking on my door at midnight. Okay? I'm an early riser. I'm in bed. I'm hopefully asleep by then. And he says, friend, would you lend me three loaves of bread? He says, I've got a friend on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. So here you are. You're knocking the door. Hey, friend, I need some bread. Could you give me some bread for this guy on this journey? This is what the guy inside says. <laughs> Suppose he says, don't bother me. He says, I've already locked the door. Can't you not see my children are already in bed? I can't get up and give you anything. But this is what Jesus says. Listen to this. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, get that? He may not give it to you because of your friendship. He says, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely give up, get up and give you as much as you need. Did you get that? Not because of your friendship, because of your shameless... This is Jesus speaking now. This isn't Wayne. Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Now notice, we are praying. Remember, we're praying for God's will in our lives. We're praying that we seek him first. And he says, if you're doing these things and you keep knocking, he'll give you as much as you need. He will not give you the new Harley necessarily. He will not give you the new boat or the mansion on the lakeside. He'll give you what you need. When you keep knocking, understand, it is God's will that opens the door, closes, or holds the door shut till the right time. Understand that. God's will, not ours, is going to open that door or close it or hold it till the right time. Now, I will tell you this. Here's the good news. The door to grace, the door to mercy, the door to forgiveness, those things that you seek that are probably more important to us than anything, that door will always be open to you. I'll go to the bank on that one. The door to mercy, forgiveness, to grace, to joy, those things will be given to you. That door will be opened. God wants you to have those things. The new Harley may not be in my picture. When I open the door and I say, Lord, give me the Harley, that may not be there. 
But these are always going to be there. What you need will be there. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. That door is always going to open. Now, there are things that will keep the door closed. If there's sin in my life and I'm struggling with something in my life, that may keep that door closed because my focus is off of God and onto the world. Satan's got his foot in the door (laughs) and got it there so it can't be opened because he's got me diverted from where God wants me to be. A lack of faith... Not knowing God's will and not knowing His word can keep that door closed. Asking the wrong question can keep it closed. Not knowing enough of His will, that could keep it closed. Now, I told you earlier, I showed you the picture of, of an answered prayer and expectation met. A year ago, we got the phone call from our son, which many of you have gotten this same. He was dealing with melanoma and he had biopsies or, or a lymph nodes taken out of his arm and he calls one day after we were told there was no cancer we get the phone call from him saying dad it's cancer you got cancer dad now it's melanoma it was treatable but it is still serious he goes through immune therapy and in the middle of his immune therapy if you know that is to boost his immune system he has the worst reaction to the immune therapy that they had seen Only like 1% of the people get this. And we watched our son lose 35 pounds, who only weighed 150 to start with, 150-some pounds, drop to 128 pounds in two and a half weeks. To the point where I'm in the hospital one day and he doesn't have enough strength to get up out of bed. And this is going to be totally, really honest with you right now. My prayer, my expectations were my son not to have cancer and my son not to have to suffer this. And I didn't handle it real well for a couple of days. I'm just going to be honest with you. I said, Lord, I've seen in ministry, I've seen you work miracles. I've seen, I just asked that he not have cancer. Would you please put me in his place and give it to me? And God said right away, it's not yours to take not yours don't play god with me this is why it's so important to be immersed in his word i told you the answers come to the word did i not the next day as i'm reading this same paul i told you about said all he wanted to do was know christ says this in romans i consider that our present sufferings are not worthy to compare to the glory that we reveal in us Romans 8, 18. And that's not in your outline because that verse was for me. God says, I got this. What you're going through is not even worthy to compare. The glory is going to be revealed. And my son, Chris, calls the next day and says this. Dad, God has got this. I know you're upset, but he says, God has got this. I work with so many people who don't know Jesus. God is going to use this for his glory, and lives are going to be changed. I don't know who and when, but he's like, I can guarantee you it's going to happen. Lives are going to be changed because of what I'm going through, and that's all that matters. At that moment, guess what? The door was open to me to forgiveness, to mercy, and grace because I needed those things in my life. Because I wasn't acting like a mature person. Christian should have been acting. I was acting very selfishly. And God says, I got this. 
So he spoke to me through his word and through my son. I got my answers, and the door was open again. Now I have the peace and joy back in my life, and I see my son working, and I see lives being changed because of it. I don't know where you're at today, what you're going to, but I'm here to tell you, if this is what you need, the door will always be open to you. It was for me. God's got it. God's got it. And you'll get your peace back. You'll get your joy back. Ask in humility. Seek earnestly. Knock with perseverance. And know God's will. Mercy Me, and we'll close with this. Mercy Me sings a song that says, Even if, even if these things aren't given me, even if these things aren't answered away, I will still hope in you. And that last feeling is this. Even if the door is closed, and even if the door doesn't come open, even if, will you still hope in Him? Even if it doesn't turn out the way you are. That's the bottom line. You've got to get to in your life. So please pick up a prayer card as we continue on. Next steps. Take the prayer card with you. Pray. Seek Him in His will. And seek Him, all He has for you. And see that lives are changed. Let us pray. Father, we give you the praise and the glory for this day. We thank you for all that you've done. We pray, Father, right now, that we seek you earnestly. We seek your will in our lives. That we knock according to your will. And we ask, Father, for you to give us what we need. Be with us. Help us to grow in prayer and draw closer to thee in Jesus' name. Amen.